Let's just take a moment to ask for heaven's help. We'll pray. Father, we thank thee for the wonder of thy son and for the mighty work of the cross. Eternally, we will thank thee that and, be, and be able to say the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We again thank thee for the privilege of being together with thy people. Thank thee for the word of God that has been opened already today, for the insights that our brother John has, has brought into view. We thank thee, Father, that he could speak so personally of this one upon whose very breast he had leaned. And again, Father, for the gracious ministry of the Spirit of God that we've been reminded of. We thank thee that he indwells us. Thank thee that he is leading us into all truth. He will show you things to come. He has sealed us and he has given us the earnest. We've been given the earnest of our inheritance. So we just pray that thou, thy word will be blessed to each one here. Thank thee for the large variety of, of ages that are before us. Thank thee, Father, for what thou hast done in wondrous grace. Thank thee for every lampstand represented here. And we would just pray that even the afternoon session would be a time when we would hear thy voice, when lives will be encouraged and built up and strengthened. And in doing so, that, that assembly testimonies will be strengthened and edified as well. So, Father, in view of our need, we turn heavenward and pray thy richest blessing that Christ will be exalted and honored and thy people fed as we give thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for returning. Nice to be back in Vancouver. And uh, this weather is not hard to take when you've left the snow behind. We still have snow in Ontario. And so Vancouver is very, very delightful. I'd like to read in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Just several verses. John chapter 10, and again the very familiar verse, verse number 10. The words of the Lord Jesus. John 10 and 10, when he said, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Verse number 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Chapter 17, verse number 3. This, of course, takes us to the upper room, or perhaps even beyond the upper room, as he speaks to his father so intimately. And in John chapter 17 and verse 3, he, he, he writes, or he, at least he it mentions in his prayer, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou has sent. Now, just one final verse in view of the time, 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. We will read verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Our brother Gould has been bringing before us the, the wonderful truth concerning the work of the Spirit of God. And we appreciate all that he is doing in our lives. One of his works that is so basic has been put this way, that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and reveals the Son of God. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God 
and reveals, manifests, unfolds the Son of God. So I don't really want to speak on the Spirit of God that has been taken up already by our brother Gould, but I'd just like to look at a very, very basic issue today. And the issue, that the, the question that I was asked a, a while back is a very, very simple one and yet a very important one. The young brother came up to me and he said, uh, what does it mean to have a relationship with Christ? What does it mean to have a relationship with Christ? I'd like to actually pick up on a statement that our brother Earl made today. You'll recall that he said that there are individuals, and maybe you've heard them, and many of us heard, have heard this statement, of individuals that say, I, I know I'm not living like a Christian, but I do know that I am saved. There's something, something wrong with that, isn't there? Something is, is discordant there. I know I'm not living like a Christian, but I do know that I'm, I'm saved. I'd like to just suggest today that having eternal life is more than just having a story. It's more than just a dot on the calendar. Enjoying a relationship with the Lord Jesus, of course, starts on Salvation's Day. And yet, this is a relationship that unfolds to us wonderful truth and wonderful realities. There have been times that I've, I've listened to particularly young people tell their testimony, and, and I, I'm not being critical. But I've listened to their story, and they have related of how they were concerned as to their, their course. They knew they were not saved and that therefore going to hell, and they knew that if the Lord would come, they would be left behind and so they related all the details of, of their concern and of their soul trouble. And then they said, and then I got saved. And you're, you're almost waiting for, for more, but that was the end of the story. And I'm not doubting their salvation. And perhaps it was just a, a lack of, of teaching or perhaps a lack of development. But it does concern me. Because sometimes we say that we're saved... And somehow we don't really appreciate the matchless person that has reached and saved us. I think it was William Booth that said one time, he says, I fear that the 20th century will bring a Christianity without Christ, a heaven without hell, and a salvation without the blood. I think his prophecy was certainly, has certainly come to pass in our day. So what this conference is all about is, is to focus again on this wonderful person. I'm afraid that many times in our lives, even in a, in a very temporal way, sometimes we can take our spouses for granted. Sometimes that warm, vibrant affection that was once there, it's still there, but somehow it's not expressed. We take them for granted. And sometimes love can cool. Sometimes we can start to live on, on separate tracks. And what sometimes applies to our lives in a marital way can also apply to our lives in a spiritual way. So I'd just like to, ask, like to address this, this very simple and yet very important issue. What does it mean to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus? What does it mean to you? And what does it mean to me? The words of the Lord Jesus in John 17 are, are certainly pivotal. This is life eternal 
that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Thank God every person that is saved is going to heaven. That is the blessing. Thank God every person who's saved is going to be raptured home if, if he were to come today. That is a tremendous prospect and a tremendous blessing. But salvation goes beyond the blessing, doesn't it? And it brings us into the vital contact of the blesser. And we understand that the blesser is far greater than the blessing. I can't help but think of Peter's words in 1 Peter 3:18. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to heaven. No, it doesn't say heaven, does it? That would be the blessing. Thank God it's true. That he might bring us to God. And the wonder of God's salvation, and the wonder of the Spirit's work, and the wonder of the power of the gospel is that it has brought us into a relationship eternally with the God of heaven and with his beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So God's desire is that our affections might be centered on Christ, that we might be taken up with him. And I like what one brother wrote. He said, in a very, very troubled world, the Lord Jesus is the wonderful counselor. You'll remember Isaiah's words, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And in a very troubled world, he is the Wonderful Counselor. This world is still trying to figure out some of the solutions to the big problems of life. Thank God we have come to know the wonderful counselor. And in a very tiny world, he writes, this wonderful person is the mighty God. What an amazing thing it is. We can only stop with, with, with wonder and with worship. That in this vast universe of ours, 800 billion stars in our little galaxy, and they estimate 800 billion galaxies beyond that. We can't even comprehend those, those numbers. And yet, in the, when the fullness of the time was come, the mighty creator stepped into his own creation. And in a very tiny world, and how tiny it is, he came as the mighty God, the omnipotent Christ. We bow before him. In a very transient world, he is the father of eternity. Everything is changing. Everything is running out. It's, it's transient, and yet he remains the same. And in a very tense world, a very tense world, he is wondrously the prince of peace. So what does it mean to have a relationship with, with this wonderful person? I'd like to just look at some of the features, and I'm just going to draw on your memory to, to, to really today, because my time is going to go very quickly. I'd like to just draw on some of the, some of the incidents that we're seen in the life of the Lord Jesus with his disciples. And so I'm going to go to John chapter 12, first of all. And if we had been there that day, we would have been a part of a, of a room full of people. Simon had invited a large number in. The Lord was there. And at a certain moment, there was a woman that, that moved quietly into that room. Her eye was only on one person. It was her Lord. And as she made her way, I don't know, through the, the various individuals, she came to where the Lord Jesus was. And very quietly, without any fanfare, she broke that alabaster box of ointment. 
and anointed her Lord. Interestingly, there was, a, there was a, an immediate response. Started with Judas, but it spread to the others. And there's just one word that went through that entire group of disciples. Waste, waste, what a waste. There were some men that were, had, the, had the figures there. Could have been sold for 300 pence. A lot of good could have been, really could have been done by, by, by actually distributing that vast amount of money, possibly the, uh, a year's wages. What a waste. And yet, without, without saying a word, Mary gave evidence of another reality. Worth, worth. He is worthy. And I would just like to take from this that when it comes to a relationship with Christ, it begins by understanding that he is a person to treasure, a person to treasure. I think if we had asked Mary that day, Mary, why, why did you do that? I, I mean, if it was worth a year's wages, if it was that, if she'd poured half of it out, that would have been an extravagant gesture, a dis, uh, 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 an extravagant display of devotion. I would suggest that none of us, none of us here have ever given that much in one single act. And if she'd just given a quarter, my, that, that, that'd been a, a huge sum. Why did she do that? I, I, I think she would have likely looked at the questioner and said, uh, wh wh why do you even ask? Are, are you not aware of what he has just done to our family? Were you not there just a, a short time ago when when he raised my brother back from the, from the dead? And are you not aware of where he's going? Why have I done that? Because he is worthy. And when it comes to this matchless person, he's a person to treasure because of the greatness of who he is. That theme goes right through the scriptures with regard to various individuals. We could speak of three men that broke through enemies' lines just to get a just to get a, a little bit of water for David. They, 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 they put their own lives in jeopardy. And as they came back from the, the well in Bethlehem, we might have said, why did you do that? Just water. Why did we do that? Ah, oh, you don't know our commander. We did that for David because he means everything to us. And you know, when it comes to this relationship with our Lord Jesus, the bottom line, the bottom line must be he is a person the treasure, the greatness of his person. Not only that, but the guidance of his word. His word is worth following. His word is perfect. The entrance of thy word gives light. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? And when we come to this person to treasure, we find that his words and his word is worth following. There's perfection there. There's the glory of his will. Some of you have likely come to this weekend conference and you're wondering, what is God's will for me? And you're tossing it back and forth. Should I do this? Should I do that? God has a will for you. It's a perfect will. It's a tailor-made will. It's a, word, it's a will that, for the most part, is described in the word of God. And I, as I think of Joseph, I think of a man that experienced so much difficulty. And the will of God seems so strange and out of control. And yet at the end, as it all came together, he says, oh, God planned it for good. 
it was involved the glory of his will. And as we think of what is yet to come, we only touched on it this morning. We're going to be like him. That in the ages to come, he might, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Just the grandeur of his kingdom. Think we'll be amazed. Don't think we'll ever get over it. You see, a relationship with Christ starts by treasuring this person. There's something else. I go to John chapter 20. And I think when we come to John chapter 20, we understand that the, the air is very, very tense. Men are in an upper room and they're talking quietly because a lot has happened over the, over the last 72 hours. In fact, Jerusalem, the city, is still, is still stirred from the crucifixion that took place just a, a couple of days ago. The authorities are, are still gloating over the success of their mission. This troublemaker, this blasphemer has been judged. He's been put to death. It's what he deserved. And uh, his claims, they've been proven false. So many words. But on that first day of the week, there's been some strange, alarming, perplexing news. Uh, some have claimed that they actually have seen this so-called blasphemer. And instead of making this band of disciples glad, it has only heightened the tension. They're wondering what's going on. Every crack in the floorboard is making them look around. The doors are, are bolted. The blinds are pulled. And suddenly, suddenly, in their very midst, stands a man. And you know his first word, don't you? Peace, peace be unto you. One of his last words to them was peace. My peace I leave with you. His first word in resurrection to them as a gathered company was peace. Peace. It's what they needed. It's what they desperately sought for. You know, when it comes to this relationship with the Lord Jesus, it's not only just a person to treasure, but this is now peace. A peace to enjoy. A peace to enjoy. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, he is our peace who hath made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition. And thank God there were those, and I'm thankful I'm, one, I'm among them. There was a moment in my life when the turmoil of my desperate needs as a sinner was met by the, the peace that, found, that is found alone in Christ. The burden was gone. The load was lifted. For the first time in my life, I had peace with God. The relationship had started. There was a peace now to enjoy. But we don't always experience and we don't always appreciate that peace, do we? We don't always enjoy it. Because there are the, the storms of life, aren't there? And then in Mark chapter 4, we find that there's a group of disciples and they're, they're crossing the sea. The Lord is asleep on the pillow at the, the back part of the ship, and uh, they're doing their best. Some of them are skilled mariners, but the waves are high. It's, it's not a good scene. The, the waves are beating into the boat, so it was, now, it was now filling. And finally, they awake the Lord Jesus, and they said, Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? We're going down. Aren't you aware? Don't you care? 
And sometimes, brothers and sisters, in the storms of life, storms are real. And some of you might be in the storm. Some of you might be entering the storm. Some of you might be just coming out of the storm. But storms are real, and sometimes in the storms of life, we do wonder, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Where is God in all this? Why does he do something? We desperately need him. We're praying. We're laying hold on him. We're seeking to carry out his word. Why doesn't he come? And the moment comes when he awakes from that hard bed. And you recall his word as he addressed the elements. Peace. Be still. I don't even know if he raised his voice. Peace. And in a moment, the elements responded to this wonderful person. Peace in the storms of life. Sometimes in the service of life. We, don't experience, we, we lose our peace. And of course, Luke chapter 10 takes us to a, a living room and a kitchen. And there's Mary, and she's sitting at the Lord's feet. And there's Martha in the kitchen. She's working hard. There's a big meal to prepare. Could well have been that all the disciples were there. And so that would have been 12 plus the Lord Jesus plus who knows how many more. So there was a lot of work, a lot of potatoes to peel. And as she looks out into the living room, there's Mary, and she's not doing a thing. Just sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to him. And finally, Martha bursts into that room and she says, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me alone to serve? Couldn't you have just put her into the kitchen? Mary, Martha, I think, it'd be, or Mary, you better go help Martha. She, she's flustered. Service of life? Sometimes we lose our peace. Sometimes we lose our focus, our perspective. The Lord desires that we would serve him, but oh, he desires that we might enjoy his presence and experience this abiding peace. Sometimes in the sorrows of life, storms of life, service of life, sometimes in the sorrows of life, we lose peace. And I'm not going to be critical of these dear sisters. They both came with the same word, didn't they? Lord, as the Lord finally came and their brother had been in the, in the grave, been dead four days. Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. You know, what they said was right. Do you know of anybody that died in the presence of the Lord Jesus? Even at the cross, he was the first one to die. He's the Lord of life and of glory. Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. I'm not being critical, but were they not saying, Lord, you let us down. You, you, you didn't come and we asked you to come. Why didn't you? We just come when we asked you to come. They lost their peace. And yet they had the great, the great blessing of the great joy of standing by that open tomb and watching their brother come out. This, you see, this relationship involves a peace to enjoy. Let's go to John chapter 21 now in your memory. And uh, we're out in the water now. The night had been long. It started with all kinds of promise and uh, anticipation. You, you know, when a man's a fisherman, he loves to be in the water. I've been around fishermen long enough to know that it's in their very, their very pores. They just love to fish. And here's, here's some men, and they, they were going out. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And a number of them says, we're going with you. They pushed off for a delightful night of fishing. And now the morning sun had risen. Early in the morning, they're coming in. And interestingly, there was a stranger on the shore, and he just calls out, 
children, do you have any meat? Did you catch anything? I said, no, we, we didn't catch a thing. And the stranger on the shore just said, cast your net on the right side and you'll find. I don't think I have to tell you that when they did that, when they did that, they caught 153 large fish. Tell me, what made the difference? Their fishing skills? No, no. The difference came by the power of the man on the shore. You see, a relationship with Christ involves a person of treasure, a peace to enjoy. But there is a power now linked with this relationship, linked with him, a power to employ. I wonder, brothers and sisters, why, why are we so weak? Why are we so powerless many times? Why are we so barren? And, and I'm looking within. I'm speaking to myself here. Because we are linked with this person. This one who has all authority and all power has been given to him. As we look at the life of the Lord, as we look at the life of Peter, rather, we understand that when he was close to the Lord Jesus, he did some amazing things, didn't he? He actually walked on the water. I don't think there's anybody here that's ever walked on the water. In fact, I know there hasn't been. But he did. And when he was close to the Lord Jesus, he said some amazing things. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when he was close to the Lord Jesus, he showed amazing courage. But you take Peter and put him at a distance. And oh, the story is so different, isn't it? When he is at a distance from the Lord Jesus, there was failure. There was weakness. He said things he should never have said. And so today, as we think of this relationship, we need to understand that there is now a power linked with Christ, a power to enjoy and a power to employ. Romans 15 tells us of the ministry of Paul. And he spoke about through mighty signs and wonders done by the power of the Spirit of God. Not his power, but the power of the Spirit of God that was indwelling him. He had been able to preach the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Illyricum. We are linked with a God of power. A power that he wants us to harness. A power that he wants us to employ. And yet the strange thing is that we have no trouble with believing in a God of history. And we have no trouble believing in a God of prophecy. But we have problem with a God of present reality. Some of you have likely heard the story, and to me it's, it's a very wonderful story because it not only involves Newfoundland, but um, it involved George Mueller, the, the man of faith, the man of prayer. And a number of years ago, many, many years ago, George Mueller was, uh, Bristol was crossing the Atlantic, and uh, the boat in which he was on, a schooner, had just come under the, the southern part of Newfoundland. They'd run into some very, very heavy fog, I mean dense fog, on the Grand Banks. And that schooner had slowed to a crawl. The captain had been on the bridge for 24 hours, and uh, I don't know, it was maybe the next morning that Mr. Mueller came to him, and he said, Captain, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec City on Saturday morning. I don't know if that was a day or two uh, hence. And the captain just simply said, uh, Sir, or Mr. Mueller, he said, that, that is impossible. Mr. Mueller said, Very well, if your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. Let us go into the chart room and pray. And the captain thought that this man was a lunatic. He, he wasn't thinking right. And he said, Mr. Mueller, do you not know how dense the fog is? Mr. Mueller said, uh, Captain, he says, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God 
who controls every circumstance of my life. Let's pray. And the captain writes, or he relates, he said, with that he knelt down and prayed one of the simplest prayers. And when he had finished, the captain was going to pray. But he put his hand on the captain's shoulders, and he said, don't pray. Don't pray. He said, first of all, you do not believe that he's going to answer. And secondly, I believe that God has already answered. He said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years, and there's not been a single day that I have failed to get an audience with this king. Get up, Captain. Open the door, and you will find that the fog is gone. Sure enough, the captain got up, opened the door, and the fog was gone. And Mr. Mueller made it to Quebec City Saturday morning. I say, Marv, that's great. That's wonderful. But it doesn't happen in our day, you know. It doesn't happen in our day? Well, well, then who's changed? Has God changed? Has his power diminished? Is, is he not the, the same one who was here yesterday and will be there tomorrow? Is he not here today? We, we are linked with the, with the God of power, a power that he wants us to harness. My time is gone, but I just want to look at this. John 13, the brings us to the upper room, and the meal had finished. The Passover was always a very meaningful time. The roast lamb and the bitter herbs, no one felt like moving. And yet they watched with amazement as they saw the Lord Jesus rise from that couch, took off his outer garment, put a towel around his waist, went over to the washstand, filled a, uh, a basin with water, and he began to move toward the first disciple to kneel down and wash that disciple's feet. And as those group of, of men, 12 in number, Judas was still there, they likely said, he, he, he shouldn't do that. He, he doesn't have to do that. And of course, you recall that Peter said, he's not going to do that. He, he won't wash my feet. And yet, as the Lord finished that task, he said, do you, do you know what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord and have... Uh, have washed, I'm sorry, you call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your master and Lord, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. You see, a relationship with Christ involves now a pattern to follow. As I have done to you, you should do to one another. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but he came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He didn't come for the red carpet. He didn't come to be known and to be waited on. The one that deserved our worship and our service and our adoration was the one who knelt down to wash the disciples' feet, the work of a slave. He was the one that laid down his life as a ransom for many. He came not to be waited on, to be served, to be ministered unto, but he came to serve himself. And that's why Paul could write, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself, he emptied himself. I can't comprehend the truth of that, but he emptied himself. And he took upon him the form of a servant, and he humbled himself. That's the pattern to follow. So as I sit down, let me just ask these questions. In our lives, individually, as we sit in a Friday afternoon ministry meeting, 
Am I looking out for number one? Or am I willing to serve others? Do I want to maintain personal control and influence and power for myself? Sometimes even, even in assembly things. Am I above stooping to help and assist other believers? Am I interested only in my own reputation? Because you see, a servant is one who, who gives and who forgives and who sacrifices for others. There's so much linked with this relationship with Christ. I'll just mention this. It involves a purity, a purity to pursue. It involves a pro proclamation to share. It involves a great purpose in life to go in for, to embrace, that we might not live unto ourselves, but unto him who so willingly gave all. What does a relationship with Christ mean to you? Just the matter of going to heaven? Or I trust that we might understand that this is a, this is a vital link to be enjoyed, to be appreciated, to be thrilled at eternally, and that even as we listen to the word of God further, that we might appreciate more and more of this wonderful Savior.